Ryan McClanahan Show, episode 418. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com, where it's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll, 10 Myths of American History, and you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. You can also go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support or just click on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep these lights on, help keep the podcast going. You can get your Brian McClanahan book plate there if you want my autograph on one of my books. I've got a number of those out. My latest, Southern Scribbling, 60 Essays in Defense of the Southern Tradition. It's a great book. And, of course, you can get it autographed if you get that book plate. Also click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. You can go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. Lots of great ways to support the show. Best way, though, of course, if you don't want to do it financially, which helps keep it going, but if you just want to help out and get people on board with the program, well, then share it around on social media, rate it wherever you get your podcasts, let people know you're listening to the show and that you like it. Now, this is a show in honor of John C. Calhoun, which... His birthday is March 18th, and um, so it's an important week. We've also got Grover Cleveland born on that day as well, and so I'll be talking about that too later in the week. But we've got John C. Calhoun, uh, and one of the most important figures in American history, without question. I mean, look, for generations, people recognize Calhoun as one of the great statesmen in the United States, not just in the South, but in the United States. In the 1830s to the 1850s, you had three people dominating Congress, and that would be Clay, Calhoun, and Webster. And it was recognized that these are the men that dominated the United States. Not the presidents, but these three statesmen, two from the South, Clay from Kentucky, Calhoun from South Carolina, and then Webster from Massachusetts. And it was their debates that really set the stage for how the United States progressed in this period of time. And of course, in graduate school, I had the honor of working with Clyde Wilson, who was the was and is still the Calhoun scholar in the United States. There's nobody that knows Calhoun better. He edited his papers for over 30 years. So if anybody knows who Calhoun is and was, it will be Clyde Wilson. And so you can go out and you can get what's called the essential Calhoun. It's selected letters, speeches, other things from Calhoun that Dr. Wilson collected over the years, and he published it in a book in 1992. Transaction Publishers, I think, published it. The Essential Calhoun. you got to get it used. It's not in print anymore, but it's fantastic. And I want to focus on one speech that Calhoun gave in this particular collection of essays, and it's one that Clyde will often point to as being one of the definitive speeches that Calhoun made. Of all the speeches... Anytime you ask him a question about something, he points back to this particular speech. And it's not one of Calhoun's more famous speeches. 
It's not the positive good speech or some of the other ones that you know people focus on. No, this is a speech that was made in 1837 and was made in January of 1837 on the admission of Michigan as a state. And the reason he points to it is because some of the things Calhoun says in this speech are so important in understanding American federalism. What happened is in December of 1836, Michigan called a convention. This is an important part to understand. They call a convention, and in that convention, they decide that they're going to join the Union. They're accepted as a state. Only the people of the state can make a state, okay? Not the central government, and Calhoun's going to get into that. This is actually very important when it comes to federal-state relations, this, this entire speech. But the people of Michigan decided they were going to join the Union. Now, there was a requirement put on them to settle a boundary dispute, the borders of the state. The general government said, you got to do this. Well, you know what? The people of Michigan rejected it. They said, no, we're not doing that. The people of the state of Michigan, the sovereign state, as Calhoun called it, they rejected it. Well, then another group in Michigan decided they were going to form a convention, not at the call of the legislature. They just did it on the side. The legislature didn't call it. They just did it, and they decided to accept the requirements and join the union. Well, Calhoun balked at that. He said, no, I'm not going to vote for that because what we've done is completely destroyed the relationship between the states and the general government because Congress is the one that essentially set this up. Congress did it. Now, we've already got the state established of Michigan. He's saying the state precedes admission to the Union. The general government doesn't create the states. The state is created by the act of the legislature and then the convention itself. That created the state. The general government can't do that. The general government doesn't create states. This is an important distinction to make. He's consistent on this matter. And this is the way it was thought of in the early founding period. The states were created organically, not by the central authority. Now, if James Wilson's involved, well, he says, well, we created the states with the... Con-. No, no, no. The states were created outside of that. You had 13 independent sovereign states in North America who formed together a union to defeat the British, and then they formed another union with the Articles of Confederation, then they formed another union with the Constitution... It was the same union, though, of states. Nothing had changed there, and I think that's something that's important to point out as well. You see, when you get to the heart of all this stuff, what, what the general government does in D.C. and all the relationships we have with the general government, that all this stuff doesn't make any sense. Just because they've done it doesn't mean it's legal. I was looking at a leftist legal scholar. Well, you know, I understand federalism, but uh, when you look at what's happened with House H.R. 1, which I've talked about, which is voting, uh, well, I understand federalism, and so Presidents Reagan, Nixon, and all these, they, they, they expanded the Voting Rights Act. That doesn't make it legal. Just because they did it doesn't make it legal at all. H.R. 1 is completely unconstitutional. There's, there's no question about it. I already did a podcast on that. But here Calhoun is getting to the relationship between the central government and the states and how important that is for our understanding of what the union actually is. He was not going to support this distortion of this relationship. And again, he gave this speech in January of 1837. He says, I have bestowed on this subject all the attention that was in my power, although actuated by a most anxious desire for the admission of Michigan into the Union, I find it impossible to give my assent to this bill. So here's Calhoun saying, I'm ready to have Michigan admitted. Now, of course, the narrative would be, here's the, wait, what? The pro-slavery guy, the 
defender of slavery is actually admitting a free state? Certainly going to, but of course they're never, he just doesn't want to do it because this is a free state. You don't want to admit a free state. Callum's saying, I'm ready, but here's why I'm not going to admit a free state because the Congress got involved and messed everything up. He says, I find it impossible to give my assent to this bill. I am satisfied the Judiciary Committee has not bestowed upon the subject all the attention which its magnitude requires, and I can explain it on no other supposition why they should place the admission on the grounds they have. One of the committee, the senator from Ohio on my left, Mr. Thomas Morris, has pronounced the grounds as dangerous and revolutionary. He might have gone further. And with trust, and with truth, I'm sorry, pronounced them utterly repugnant to the principles of the Constitution. So here we have Calhoun of South Carolina aligning with a senator from Ohio, Thomas Morris. I have not ventured this assertion as strong as it is without due reflection. And weighing the full force of the terms I have used and do not fear with an impartial hearing to establish its truth beyond the power of controversy. So he gets into what happened in Michigan, how, and I explained it here, what had happened there with the call of the convention, then the Congress gets involved and the, the, the people reject it. So Congress has now stepped in and subverted the process. And this senator from Morris from Ohio says this is dangerous and revolutionary. Yet, we just look at stuff that Congress does all the time now and stepping in and doing things illegally is just, oh, well, who cares? Supreme Court might work that out. Otherwise, we just got to pay it. We just got to do it. We have Biden stepping up and saying, you know what? You might be have 4th of July celebration maybe this year. We have Fauci. The CDC saying they're giving us liberty. The CDC doesn't give anything. They do nothing. And yet Americans are like, oh, well, the CDC says and I have to do it. The CDC has no power. The president has no power to say you can't have a 4th of July meeting. The president doesn't do that. The Congress doesn't do that. We have gotten so used to overreaching central authority that we're willing to accept all of these things. Here you have men in the 1830s say this is revolutionary for the Congress to say that you can you, you can call we're going to call a convention for you. That's revolutionary, dangerous and revolutionary. So a lot of times we hear these things are just created by, you know, right-wing radicals are just saying these things. This is just not true. None of this stuff is true. Right-wing right -wing radicals are messing everything up. But I want to read the last part of this speech. And again, this is a speech that Clyde Wilson often points to as a full expression of Calhoun's position on government and the nature of the states. Not the disquisition on government. Not anything that Calhoun wrote. This is it. Because he says this. Ours is a federal republic, a union of states. Michigan is a state, a state in the course of admission and differing only from the other states in her federal relations. She is declared to be a state in the most solemn manner by your own act. She can come into the union only as a state and by her voluntary assent given by the people of the state in convention called by the constituted authority of the state. To admit the state of Michigan on the authority of the self-created meeting or one called by the direct authority of Congress passed by the authorities of the state would be the most monstrous proceeding under our Constitution that can be conceived, the most repugnant to its principles and dangerous in its consequences. Michigan can only be brought into the Union as a state, so it pre-exists the Union as a state, an important distinction to make. So it it's not admitted and then becomes a state. 
it's a state and then is admitted. Congress can't change that. Congress can't set rules that aren't there. Congress can't call a convention for the people of the state. The state has to do that. Just like when you think about the ratifying conventions, John Marshall would say that, well, I mean, we had to put it in the states. There's no other way to do it. But it was called by the center. No, no, no. It wasn't called by the Congress. It was called by a convention, a Philadelphia convention. And the legislatures then had to call elections for the convention. So the legislatures did all of that. Because this is how the process works. The center couldn't do anything. It would establish a direct relation between the individual citizens of a state and the general government. An utter subversion of the federal character of our system. So he's saying that what we're doing here is now the Congress is directly operating on individuals. Well, that's a subversion of the system. Now, you can go back into the ratifying conventions and you can look or into the documents that were produced during the ratifying process and there was discussion of the document operating on individuals, namely when it came to taxes. But Calhoun is saying this is a subversion of our original charter of government. The relation of the citizens to this government is through the states exclusively. They are subject to its authority and laws only because the state has assented they should be. If she dissents, their assent is nothing. So if the state dissents from the center, then the assent of the people is nothing. On the other hand, if she assents, their dissent, their dissent is nothing. So if the state agrees, then the people can't dissent. The state agrees to abide by whatever laws they are. It assents, then the people cannot dissent. Calhoun is very consistent on this matter. It is through the state then and through the state alone that the United States government can have any connection with the people of a state. And does not then the senator from Pennsylvania see that if Congress can authorize the convention of the people of, in the state of Michigan without the authority of the state, it matters not what is the object. It may in like manner authorize conventions in any other state for whatever purpose it may think proper. Michigan is as much a sovereign state as any other, differing only, as I have said, in two or federal relations. If we give our sanction to the Assemblage of December on the principle laid down by the Senator from Pennsylvania, then we establish a doctrine that Congress has power to call at pleasure conventions within the states. Is there a senator on this floor who will assent to such a doctrine? Is there one especially who represents the smaller states of this union or the weaker section? Admit the power and every vestige of state rights would be destroyed. Our system would be subverted, and instead of a confederacy of free and sovereign states... We would have all power concentrated here, and this would become the most odious despotism. So if somehow the general government can step in and call a convention for the states, we've just now destroyed the entire federal republic. This has nothing to do with slavery. Nothing to do with slavery at all. This is, We're talking about a free state here. Calhoun's saying Michigan is a sovereign state, just differing in her federal relations. It means she's not in the union with us yet. But it's still a sovereign state. And we can't, Congress can't call a convention for a sovereign, we can't call a convention for Ireland. We can't call a convention for Great Britain. We can't call a convention for Mexico. We can't do any of that. We can't call a convention for Spain. None of that. So what they have done here is completely illegal. And he's calling them out for it. 
He indeed must be blind who does not see that such a power would give the federal government a complete control of all the states. I call upon senators now to arrest a doctrine so dangerous. Let it be remembered that under our system, bad precedents live forever. Good ones only perish. We may not feel all the evil consequences at once, but this precedent, once set, will surely be revived and will become the instrument of infinite evil. What a beautiful statement and understanding of what will happen if we subvert the Constitution. Let me read that again. Let it be remembered that under our system, bad precedents live forever. Good ones only perish. Beautiful. Beautiful. Think about all the bad precedents we've got in American history now. All the times bad precedents have become evil in American history. We can go all the way back to the Washington administration and see the bad precedents he set. I mean, we're still living with these things. The Jackson administration and Calhoun's time when he's making the, saying this in 1837, the Adams administration. Lots of bad ones. Even the Jefferson administration, second term. Lots of bad stuff going on. The good ones that were there are just going to perish. The bad ones live on forever. And then we move after Calhoun's time. We've got Lincoln, all the progressive presidents, all the things that have happened. All those bad precedents that have been established haven't gone away. All the good stuff, though, that was ever there is gone. We may not feel all the evil consequences at once, but this precedent, once set, will surely be uh, revived, and we become the instrument of infinite evil. The instrument of infinite evil. It will be asked, what shall be done? Will you refuse to admit Michigan into the Union? I answer no. I desire to admit her, and if the senators from Indiana and Ohio will agree, I am ready to admit her as she stood at the beginning of the last session, without giving sanction to the unauthorized assemblage of December. But if this does not meet their wishes, there is still another way by which she may be admitted. We are told two-thirds of the legislature and people of Michigan are in favor of accepting the conditions of the act of last session. If that be the fact, then all that is necessary is that the legislature shall call another convention. All difficulty will thus be removed, and there will be still abundant time for admission at this session. And shall we, for the sake of gaining a few months, give our assent to a bill fraught with principles so monstrous as this? Think about, you know, relation to that with modern legislation. Should we give assent to something monstrous just because, well, it's a thing to do? Or should we take our time and deliberate? This is now seen as monstrous to actually deliberate about something, to, to actually read the bill and see what's in it and say, you know, this is terrible. No, no, we got to do something now under the emergency of whatever the emergency is that day, the daily emergency. we got to do something right now. Calhoun's saying we should take our time. If this is really good, well, and it's 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 worth the wait. We've been told unless she is admitted immediately, it will be too late for her to receive her proportion of the surplus revenue under the uh, deposit bill. I trust that on so great a question, a difficulty like this will have no weight. Give her at once her full share. I am ready to do so at once without waiting her admission. I was mortified to hear on so grave a question such motives assigned to her admission contrary to the law and constitution. Such considerations ought not to be presented when we, were, when we are setting great constitutional principles. I trust that we shall pass by all such frivolous motives on this occasion 
and take ground on the great and fundamental principle that an informal, irregular, self-constituted assembly, a mere caucus, has no authority to speak for a sovereign state in any case whatsoever, to supersede its constitution or to reverse its dissent deliberately given by a convention of the people of the state, regularly convened under its constituted authority. Calhoun, in that part where he's laying out what the general government is, is one of the most important things you're ever going to hear Calhoun say. Let me go back to that again. Ours is a federal republic, a union of states. Michigan is a state, a state in the course of admission and differing only from the other states in her federal relations. So Michigan's a state. Ours is a federal republic, a union of several, a union of states. It's not a collection of people. It's not a union of people, as John Marshall would say. No, no. Calhoun is saying that's not true at all. We're a union of states, a federal republic. I hear oftentimes people say we're a, we're a, a republic. No, no, no. We're a federal republic, a, a union of states, not of people. Not of people, but of states. So this is a beautiful speech, and again, it's a speech that Clyde Wilson often points to to say this is this is the speech. And then he gave a follow-up speech about the admission of Michigan. This is just a few days later, 1837, January 5th, 1837. The first is January 2nd. And he makes this point about states being admitted to the Union. He goes into a little bit more detail, and I said this is what he was getting at. He said, I am now to return to the assumption that a territory cannot become a state until admitted into the Union, which is now relied on with so much confidence to prove that Michigan is not a state. I reverse the position. I assert the opposite, that a territory cannot be admitted till she become a state. And in this, I stand on the authority of the Constitution itself, which expressly limits the power of Congress to admitting new states into the Union. But if the Constitution has been silent, he would indeed be ignorant of the character of our political system, who does not see that states, sovereign and independent communities, and not territories, can only be admitted. Ours is a union of states, a federal republic. He says it again. States and not territories form its component parts, bound together by a Solomon League in the form of a constitutional compact. In coming into the Union, the state pledges its faith to the sacred compact, an act which none but a sovereign and independent community is competent to perform. And of course, a territory must first be raised to that condition before she can take her stand among the confederated states of our Union. How can a territory pledge its faith to the Constitution? It has no will of its own. You give it all its powers, and you can at pleasure override all her actions. If she enters as a territory, the act is yours, not hers. Her consent is not without your authority and sanction. Can you, can Congress become a party to the Constitutional Compact? How absurd. Again, a much more detailed analysis of what's happening here. You can't admit territories. You have to admit them as states. So they become states first. Then they're admitted to the Union. And the, and the Constitution, is correct, is very clear on this. You don't admit territories. You admit states. And those states are on equal footing with the existing states. Nothing has changed. He calls the caucus that was put there to deal with this issue from Congress a criminal meeting in this speech. So good. I mean, this speech is so juicy. There's so much stuff here. Calhoun also outlines some of his political principles in this particular speech. 
the second speech. And again, these two speeches together are really good. He says, Looking then to the approaching struggle, I take my stand immovably. I am a conservative in its broadest and fullest sense, and such I shall ever remain, unless indeed the government shall become so corrupt and disordered that nothing short of revolution can reform it. I solemnly believe that our political system is, in its purity, not only the best that was ever formed, but the best possible that can be devised for us. It is the only one by which free states, so populous and wealthy, and occupying so vast an extent of territory, can preserve their liberty. Thus thinking, I, can hope for no, for a, I cannot hope for a better. Having no hope for a better, I am a conservative, and because I am a conservative, I am a states' rights man. So, to Calhoun, conservatism is states' rights. Again, this is why Clyde Wilson points out this speech and says, this is it. This is where you go to look at what Calhoun is. This speech from Michigan, these two speeches together. I believe that in the rights of the states there are found the only effectual means of checking the overreaction of this government. To resist its tendency to concentrate all power here and to prevent a departure from the Constitution, or in the case of one, to restore the government to its original simplicity and purity. State interposition, or to express it more fully, the right of a state to interpose her sovereign voice as one of the parties to our constitutional compact against the encroachments of this government is the only means of sufficient potency to effect all this. And I am there, and I am therefore its advocate. I rejoice to hear the senators from North Carolina and from Pennsylvania do us the justice to distinguish between nullification and the anarchical and revolutionary movements in Maryland and Pennsylvania. I know they did not intend it as a compliment, but I regard it in the highest. They are right. Day and night are not more different, more unlike in everything. They are unlike in their principles, their objects, and their consequences. And so um, he's saying nullification is a union tactic. And for those of you that Tenth Amendment people, and other, I mean, this is where Calhoun is so good, right? This is why we should all read Calhoun. He's outlining here what it is. I mean, people that advocate the Tenth Amendment are American conservatives in the purest sense because they're advocating the original federal republic. He then continues, as a conservative and a states' rights man, or if you have it, a nullifier, I have and shall resist all encroachments on the Constitution, whether it be the encroachment of the government or on the states, or the opposite, the executive on Congress or Congress on the executive. My creed is to hold both governments and all the departments of each to their proper sphere, and to maintain the authority of the laws and the Constitution against all revolutionary movements. I believe the means which our system furnishes to preserve itself are ample, if fairly understood and applied, and I shall resort to them, however corrupt and disordered the times, so long as there is hope of reforming the government. The result is in the hands of the deposer of events. It is my part to do my duty. Yet, while I thus openly avow myself a conservative, God forbid I should ever deny the glorious right of rebellion and revolution. Should corruption and oppression become intolerable and cannot otherwise be thrown off, if liberty must perish or the government be overthrown, I would not hesitate at the hazard of life to resort to revolution and to tear down a corrupt government that could neither be reformed nor borne by freemen. Can you imagine somebody in the current Congress saying this today? I mean, Josh Hawley walks by a protest, puts his fists in the air, and this guy is now the most awful person in American politics. Here's Calhoun saying, you know what? I'm a nullifier. I'm a nullifier. I'm in the Senate of the United States, and I'm a nullifier, and I believe if this government is too corrupt, we can just get rid of it. He's saying this in the Senate. 
of the United States. Can you imagine somebody saying this today anywhere else? I can't. I can't imagine a congressman saying this because none of them have any spine. But I trust in God things will never come to that. I trust never to see such fearful times, for fearful fearful indeed they would be if they should ever befall us is the last remedy and not to be thought of till common sense and the voice of mankind would justify the resort. Really good stuff. And again, if you want to understand American federalism, you have to read Calhoun. I mean, certainly he's not a member of the founding generation, but he understood it better than most. Now, what's interesting is that the purists, the old Republicans, didn't trust Calhoun. They didn't trust him initially. They thought that... uh, you know, Philip Pendleton Barber, for example, who was one of the old Republicans, didn't, didn't really see eye to eye with Calhoun. He thought Calhoun was more of an opportunist than anything. But Calhoun, by 1837, is saying a lot of the right things. And uh, that's interesting, you know, uh, that uh, Calhoun is now becoming the standard bearer of this. But his definition of a conservative, if you're a conservative in America, then you have to be a states' writer. You have to be a nullifier. If you are a conservative, you have to believe in separation of powers and checks and balances. That's what true conservatism is. He defines it, which is important. Again, this is why Clyde Wilson points this out as a very important speech. It's not anything else. You can't be a Lincolnian nationalist, in other words, and be a conservative. It's just impossible because you don't believe in the original Federal Republic. You believe in something else. You don't believe in a distortion of what that is. And so all these conservatives that run around saying, I'm a conservative and I love Abraham Lincoln, you're not really a conservative then, are you? At least not to Calhoun. And this is why when we wrote our book, Forgotten Conservatives in American History, Calhoun was included. He had to be. He had to be included because he is, under his own definition, a conservative. And so you know, people that wouldn't call themselves conservatives, I, I, uh, and there are friends that I have, colleagues that would say this. I'm not a conservative. Calhoun, if you're a states' rights individual, if you're a nullifier, you're a conservative. This is what he would say you are. The other people aren't. Even though they call themselves that, they aren't. Because all they are is nationalists looking to some come up with some kind of national top-down solution to something. Calhoun would say that's not conservatism. It's two sides of the same coin which is one is doing one thing for national basis, one is doing the other thing of national basis, and neither one is really conservative. Not in the American sense. Not in the states' rights, federalist, federal Republican uh, sense. The old Republican sense. You can't have that. You can't have those things without believing in the original federal republic. So I wanted to hit this uh, essay, again, because Calhoun's birthday is so important, and I just love it. And of course, right now I've got some discounts this week on some of my classes at McClanahan Academy. My war class, my Southern Cultural and Intellectual History class, which, by the way, has some Calhoun in it, has to. My Reconstruction class, if you use the coupon code, my U.S. History Survey courses, if you use the coupon code Calhoun, if you don't want to just wait for the links in the email, use the coupon code Calhoun, you get those classes at a pretty good discount. So get them right now because this deal will not last beyond this week. If you're talking about the week of Calhoun's birthday and uh, get those good deals, get lots of Calhoun. You need Calhoun in your life if you're an American conservative. Uh, he would define that as anyone who believes in the Federal Republic. You're a conservative. All right. See you next time with the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.